0: Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey podcast. Today's guest is Molly Mazzolini, who is a partner and director of brand integration at Infinite Scale Sports Consultancy. Molly and I met in our respective Olympic jobs and we just clicked. I found her to be smart, engaging, humble, customer focused, and just a lot of fun to work with. She taught me a lot about sports marketing and brand management and went on from the USOC to help found her current company. She's done some amazing things in the sports world and I'm so happy to have her on my podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Molly.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for your time. It's uh, it's always a blast to talk to you. You always have really cool stories, and um, you know, just uh, I always enjoy talking to you. So this is going to be no different. So let's kind of start from the beginning. Tell me about where you okay. grew up.
1: Well, technically born in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, but I've moved uh, around. Uh, a lot. I've lived in ten cities, with um, Salt Lake City where I live now being the the longest place where I've grown roots. Um, and you know, with my family, um, I'm one of five, and uh, I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm a total mistake. And you know, I. Blessing. I Blessing. Stop it, <laughs> it. Well, my next sibling is 13 years older than I. Same parents. Oh wow. um, And it's like my four older brothers and sisters were also kind of like my parents. Um, So uh, but it's cool because, um, you know, my parents, my mom is now um, 86 and my dad is 91. And um, so they're, you know, depression age. So I have that comboed with, uh, you know, they grew up in the Depression era. And then, combi- you know, being the youngest, but yet the kind of having, being an only kid in some aspects,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: uh, multi-generational in our family, for sure. And yeah. um, so it's really helped kind of influence the way that I think about things and approach things and, and just really conscious of that. And, and so I feel very fortunate to... That you know, I, I am a part of this family, and um, and I try and those things, those values that my parents have taught me, I try to move forward with my kiddos today.
2: But, yeah.
1: uh Kind of going back to Louisville, you know, moved around a bit, and actually lived in Atlanta at the age of two, but then moved out um, a couple years later, um, and I'll I'll circle back to Atlanta a couple times in my career for sure. Yeah, um, I went to high school in Eugene, Oregon. And the reason why we moved around a lot is just because of my dad's job. He worked in the building products industry and he um, really, you know, he, he was kind of a fixer of sales and marketing offices where he would help fix them and make them better and then move on to the next one. So a lot of people ask me like, oh, are you a military kid? And, uh, we kind of led that lifestyle, but, um, not a part of the military. We just moved around a lot. Yeah. and It was a new team. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say, um, you, you probably had to pick up a lot of just, you know, being able to adapt quickly, you know, kind of building a new friend yeah. group, you know, assimilating with the crowd, wherever you were, depending on, you know, middle school is always tough for everybody, but being the new kids probably adds an extra challenge to, uh, you know, just trying to fit in and trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do. Right.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, I spent about nine years in Detroit and I remember the day that we moved, it was negative 30, you know, 30 degrees below zero. And wow. we moved to San Antonio, Texas, and it was 70 degrees. So, you know, a hundred <laughs> degree difference, you know, flying if we were landing, like pulling off our coats and our sweaters and, you know, just learning the different cultures too yeah. of each one of these cities and how they influence me even today by just having an understanding or a connection or a link there, which is great when you talk to people or try and get to know people and set up a connection with them to be able to have that in common is, is really cool. And it definitely mm-hmm. is a perk or a benefit of um, not growing up in one city, which I've, I've really been jealous of those kids who have had the opportunity to, to be born and raised in one city. But then I think I would have missed out on all the experiences that I've had thus far.
0: Yeah, you're so right. You know, I think like, you know, your kids have all been in the same city as have mine and uh, some in the same house, you know, and we have, I kind of have, you know, a couple different stages of life for me too. I mean, growing up in South Florida, but we we lived in two different areas while we were down there in different neighborhoods. And, um, you know, one group was predominantly Jewish. So I got, you know, all of the understanding of what a bar mitzvah was, a bat mitzvah. And I'm like, hey, how come we don't get this? They get all kinds of cool gifts and they learn school stuff, you know? So it was pretty funny. But then we moved to Atlanta and you're right. Everybody had been there since like kindergarten. And we were the new kids. I have a twin sister. And, you know, so the new kids from Lauderdale listened to different music and, you know, what's with the belt buckles and the cowboy boots and stuff. And it was just culture shock. But uh, you learn to just kind of appreciate what you have. And you're right. It does sort of make you who you are today. And it gives you, I think, a little bit better adaptability than for somebody that's, you know, been in one place their whole life. It, it's probably a little more of a struggle than what you had to do.
1: Yeah. Perfectly stated. Perfectly stated. Couldn't agree more.
0: So Eugene, Oregon, I've heard cool things about that. So you went to high school there and you graduated there as well?
1: Yes, I did. So, so um, it was a kind of a gift that my parents gave me where um, my dad basically told his work, I, I need to be here. I, if we're going to move to Eugene. That's great. But Molly's going to be in high school and I want to stay in one place for her. Um, for and so we stayed there all, all four years.
0: Gotcha. Were there, Um, certain subjects you liked or activities you were involved in in high school?
1: You know, it's um, I I ended up going to a a public high school and they were known at the time. Now, this is, um, you know, the early 90s, right, where they were the technology school in the state and that they had what was called a brand new computer lab (laughs) and (laughs) in this lab is where you would go and, you know, take computer classes. But they also had this really cool thing called the radio room. And it was there that um, they set up a kind of community-based radio program with the local radio station where the high school students would help run it, like program it, be the DJs. And so you would sign up to like, develop the new script and read the news or you would be a dj and have a theme for like one hour That's and really you would cool. transition. i know it's really cool right and so um i was a part of that program for all four years and i think it really helped shaped um you know just expressing myself and presenting myself mm-hmm. and And even to think through like what it takes to put a radio station on, which I know right now, everybody's probably like on Spotify or, you know, have their own, they don't listen to the radio anymore, but I still love listening to the radio because of it.
0: Yeah. You, you have a appreciation for how much work is involved in, you know, a four hour show or even a one hour show and what goes on behind the scenes and all that.
1: Yes, exactly. It's a lot of work. What you do is amazing because it's, it's like a form of a radio show, right? Um, yeah. But it's the new modern um, take on it. And of course, you're doing it because you're just like one of the most tech savvy people I know.
0: <laughs> you're too kind, Molly. Thank you. Yeah, but it is fascinating. Um, I And that's amazing that you had that experience in high school because I know most colleges have some semblance of a radio station and you get involved in that but um, in high school, it probably taught you a lot about just um, you know what what consumers are listening to, what they're interested in, you know how to present a message together. I'm sure that was really valuable skills to take into college and then certainly beyond there. Were you thinking of maybe doing something in communications to study that in college, or what? Uh, what were you thinking going into coming out of high school?
1: Well, it was actually my, um, and they literally called it like the class was called Radio Room. Um, So my radio room teacher, um, Mrs. Wiper, who I adore, and she's like, you know, have you ever heard of public relations? And I'm like, no, what's that? And she's like, you really should check into it and um, kind of pursue it more. And I think that is what really sparked the idea of getting a degree in communications um and kind of looking at how public relations works with advertising works with marketing I mean even works with English right or business Mm -hmm. marketing and so I you know even though I was in Eugene Oregon um I thought oh okay I'm, I'm gonna go to the University of Oregon or Oregon State University and literally my senior year of high school they they canceled both of those programs at both of those schools. And they were like, Oh, well, you could be a journalism or drama major. And I'm like, Oh no, not, not quite there. And I kept looking into what colleges I could go to and somehow like a postcard showed up from Loyola, New Orleans, which is a small liberal arts school um, next to Tulane in New Orleans. And my mom and I went to um, do a site visit and I ended up walking out of there meeting my roommate and um, you know kind of signing up of an application in, got accepted and went and i was kind of hesitant at first and my roommate was gung-ho and then at christmas she left and i stayed all four years wow um, and, uh, <laughs> i know and i studied communications and new orleans will always have a special place in my heart but i think even going back to that idea of moving around, you know, I chose that was the first place that I chose to move to. And yeah. Um, and then from there, um, you know, I, I was actually in 95, when I got an internship with um, a cop, Atlanta Centennial Olympic properties, and mm-hmm. spent the summer in Atlanta. And um, preparing, helping to prepare as an internship where I received a grade for, um, through Loyola and, um, you know, received credit. And then when the, you know, I graduated and the games were there in 96, they were like, Hey, will you come back and just help us during the games? And, um, and so I did that and, and it was really cool because I was actually, you know, this started because I was working at a stationery store in Phipps called Paper Affair. Mm-hmm. I and remember. you do? I do yep. And uh, <laughs> with an amazing little stationery store, um, family owned by the Wagner family in Atlanta. And I saw this lady come in and I was helping her with this order. And she, was ha- she had this cool thing around her waist called a key fob. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, what's that for? What's that badge for? And she said, Oh, I work for the Olympics. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I would love to do that. And she said, well, they have internships and she like wrote down who I needed to call. And I reached out to them and submitted an application. And Paul, I really wish I remember her name because I just want to send her the biggest like bouquet of flowers because she helped me on my trajectory in this, in the sports industry today. Yeah. Um, Because, Took the time. And so you never know like who you're going to bump into, but also you never know who you may help and where they may take that piece of advice or that, you know, entree um, to get your foot in the door. And so, um, you know, just be really observant.
0: That's a great point because there are opportunities everywhere and sometimes when you you least expect it, you know, um, you were talking about the torch relay before we got on the recording here and, um, you know, sometimes these windows just open up that you can't even plan for, but you got to be ready to jump in and sometimes push through a little bit of fear or comfort. Because there could be some really amazing things on the other side of that, and just by asking, you know, that customer, "Oh, what is that?" You know, now it's starting the conversation pretty soon. Ball starts rolling. You know, it's amazing. Um, I was going to ask you one thing too. When, you know, moving from Oregon to Louisiana, that's a really big leap, and you you've had experience yeah. moving around. Um, what was the what was the transition like moving to um, a new a new city, new culture by yourself, you know, were you excited about it? Were you embracing it? Uh, tell us about your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think at that time I was um, pretty, pretty fearless and that I, I knew I was living, it's, it's required to live in the dorms on campus. So mm-hmm. there's security in that, but it's also kind of wild when it's your first weekend of college and a hurricane shows up.
2: <laughs> uh
1: so it was Hurricane Andrew, literally the first weekend um that I was living there. And you just kinda learned this new way of living. They were like, Hey, you know, you need to stay in the dorms, but if you want to leave, you can sign this waiver that says loyal is not responsible if you get hurt. I'm like, Who would leave during a hurricane? And they're like, Well, you know, a lot of people go and party. I'm like, What? And you know, so it's of course true. They do. <laughs> <laughs> of course they got a party. And so they're hurricane parties. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, Hurricane Andrew, it was it was intense but it it didn't do as much damage as like, you know, when you think of uh, you know, hurricane history, you know, a lot of people remember Hurricane Katrina, which of course was devastating to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Now people say, you know, did you live here pre-Katrina or post-Katrina? And so uh, obviously my time was pre-Katrina and it was just amazing. The culture is so beautiful and amazing. And it's just, you know, the, the food, um, the music is everywhere. There's festivals every weekend. And of course, Mardi Gras and Jazz Fest. And, mm-hmm. um, and you just learn how to, I learned how to study really hard, um, but also to play hard as well. And I also learned after, you know, that first, you know, you go home for the holidays and you come back and you're like, hey, you know, where's so-and-so? And they're like, oh, their parents got their grades in the mail at mm. the time, you got your grades, yeah. and they they flunked out, and they're not coming back because their parents aren't paying for their education or to support them while they're going to school. Yeah, um, because they didn't work hard enough and they took too much advantage of ladies' night, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: and and at that time, it was actually I was grandfathered in and could go to the bars at eighteen um so there was there's a definitely a lot of things that are distractions and so you just have to you know really manage yourself and your time um which i you know realized at the end of four years i guess i did a pretty good job because i graduated with a bachelor degree
0: yeah that's awesome and i know there's lots of distractions and you know fun towns like that i know there's a lot to do in atlanta and south florida i know um yeah, there's there can be plenty of places where students can get into trouble. Did you, um, did you have a job or, or some did you intern while you were there.
1: Yeah, I actually um, had both so um, I was uh, kind of like a part time nanny where I would pick up um, a little girl from her school and Um, And walk her home and help her with her homework. Um, And then I also worked on campus. They had a coffee shop on campus called PJ's Coffee. Um, And then I also did non-paying internships. So wherever I could get a job that was relevant to the industry, like at um, several different agencies in town, and most of those were non-paying. And that was just normalcy at that time. Yeah. And so, you know, I would like pay this, you know, for my streetcar ride to get to the central business district to go work and you know, work for free basically, and then hop back on the streetcar and go back, you know, like my coffee shop job to try and get some money to be able to go out and play. Right? Yeah.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah. So um yeah, the unpaid internships I think is a mystery for Um, younger people today because that was the norm like you said and and, I know in you know radio stations and advertising and PR and um, I don't know why that sector was the norm to not pay but you were like you're trading for experience right and so when you graduate you don't you, you needed money so you went to work at a you know a grocery store or you know um drugstore or wherever, um, that was different than, you know, having, you know, an in at Ogilvy and Mather or, or some of these other places where you've had, you know, two or three semesters or summers or quarters or whatever it was to be able to say, Oh, you know, I know the person here, they're hiring for somebody and you've got an in now. So that, that's, that, that was what you had to do, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and it was, it was super great for me. And, um, in that you know to be able to have the kind of career side but also um you know the side that allowed me to stay closer to campus and um and to to work and to develop develop that work ethic which is so important
0: yeah so when you got um the uh the offer to go to work for ACOP were you still in college at the time
1: so um, the internship was the summer before my senior year in college. And then um, the actual, uh, you know, I would call it, it was probably more of like a temporary full-time job during the actual Olympics. And because everybody knows that when they go and work for the Olympics, they kind of have an end date. And you know mm-hmm. that end date on your start date, yeah. which for me was the end of the games. Yeah. Um, and I actually had, I was interviewing for full-time work um, while also in Atlanta, because I really wanted the opportunity to be able to stay there. Mm-hmm. And so my goal when I graduated from college is I really wanted to work for a corporation. I didn't care what corporation it was. I just wanted that experience after working at like small advertising agencies. and um, you know, I just thought, oh, it'd be so cool to work there. And mm-hmm. you know, through, You know, I knew Georgia Pacific was um, their kind of world headquarters was in Atlanta. And as I mentioned before, my dad is in the building products industry and, you know, he knew somebody there. And I just said, hey, you know, do they have any openings? And um, so I met with their HR team and they had an opening selling drywall and um and they offered me the position and i was like okay let's do this you know i had not i knew nothing about drywall yeah um and um and just had an incredible opportunity of like you know of course living in atlanta was like an hour and a half commute cuz i was living in Al- Alpharetta with my brother no coming mm-hmm. with my brother and oh wow um, and so you know, I had to learn how to commute, right? And including taking MARTA um, um, to the building, working downtown, um, worked with an incredible group of people and and was in it for about a year. And I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not myself. I'm not happy. This isn't fulfilling my, you know, creativity at all. Um, But I learned an incredible amount of like not only building structures and you know, the manufacturing process from the plant all the way to, like, you know, Home Depots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what it takes to get drywall in your hands. Um, and it was definitely a great learning experience. But I knew I, I wanted to get back into the sports industry. And so I started looking for... Um, jobs there and ran across a position at the University of Kentucky athletics department to work in media relations. And so I gave my, um, my notice and um, picked up and moved to Lexington, Kentucky.
0: That's awesome. It's, uh, but it was, it was good for you to recognize early on because some people don't, you know, a year in, they're just like, oh, well, let's kind of see how it goes. And pretty soon a year turns into five, turns into 10, maybe turns into a career. But you knew early on that that was, you know, you're working for a long time and you need to be happy or at least be doing something you've got a passion for, right?
1: Totally. And especially when family members are like, you're not yourself. And, you know, but I think what was tugging from the other side was, you know, I'm I'm really loyal and I I hated Mm -hmm. walking in there and kind of giving my notice because I wanted to be able to give more to the position, but I I knew it was probably time and they felt the same way. Um, And then of course, you know, when I moved to Kentucky, um, it it was just, you know, a place where I just thrived immediately um, learning, you know, what it's like to be in media relations and collaborating with teams there and what collegiate sports are like um, traveling with the teams. Um, working with the coaches, working with media members, helping communicate how the teams are, are doing on the road, um, learning things like how to do a box score for basketball games. Uh, it, it was incredible. And I just learned so much that I still at both jobs, Georgia Pacific um, and the University of Kentucky, um, have, have used today and, and everything that I do. They were extremely foundational and important to me.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you were there a year, and then what what were you thinking um, beyond that? Was this going to be a career you were thinking, or was you just kind of like learning as you go and trying to see where your next fit might be?
1: Yeah, well, at at the University of Kentucky, I was there for about two years, and then my contract was set to expire. And um, I was looking in uh, a classified ad, um, which is what you did back then because there weren't things like glass doors, right?
0: That was um, in a, new, a printed newspaper on paper, right? Right, a
1: printed newspaper. <laughs> and, um, and I actually was looking, at that time, you would be proud of me, I was online looking at the Denver. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to move back out West. Yeah. And I saw this job for the U.S. Olympic Committee and I submitted my resume and I get this call and I pick up the phone and I answer, and I hear this male voice on the other line saying, "Where have you been? I've been looking for you for over a year. Where have you been?" And I'm like, "Excuse me? Do I know you? You know who is this, please?" And and it ended up being my boss, um, my new boss at the Olympic Committee, and he basically said that they had been looking for somebody with the experience that I had of having previous Olympic game experience and like being a project manager and part sales and just kind of all the things that I had done to date had kind of led me to this position of working for the US Olympic Committee um, to be able to help them with their corporate partners to be able to olympicize their marketing campaigns.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and um, And so It's technically working for the U.S. Olympic Committee, but the job was based out of Salt Lake City as they were preparing for the 2002 Olympic Winter Games. And I was one of the first people on site for the USOC, permanently placed in Salt Lake City, um, to be able to prepare for the Games and also to be kind of a liaison for when people from Colorado Springs would come in um, to Salt Lake city as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so moving, cause in the span of what, probably three or four years, um, yeah. you went from, well, maybe five years, but, you know, from New Orleans to Atlanta, to Louisville, to Salt Lake and, yeah. uh, you know, certainly different cultures at each stop. So, um, <laughs> what, to, what were you thinking um and just in terms of the role of you know this was this was this going to be you know a, a career move do you think was this kind of were you thinking okay this is back in sports I'm in sports now um already but now I can kind of build upon that is that sort of the was it intentional in terms of how you're connecting these dots or was it just sort of um I, I'm not feeling in love now um this looks really interesting and seems like a good fit let's just kind of go with that
1: yeah I think the probably the most intentional move was that it was within the sports industry
2: Mm -hmm. and,
1: um, you know, from a career perspective, but from a personal perspective, I really wanted the opportunity to move out West. Yeah. Uh, And probably just because I I had such a great experience in Oregon, um, growing up and going to high school there. And I had never been to Salt Lake City with the exception of like an airport layover, right? And, um, and I really didn't know what to expect. And in fact, the local culture in Salt Lake City is, um, you know, a lot of people think of, you know, the number one question that they ask me now is, are you Mormon?
2: Yeah. And
1: you no, know, it's just that is a big part of the culture and community here. And so I immediately had like, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I was like, okay, mom. You need to send me coffee because Mormons don't drink caffeine, and they, that means that they don't eat chocolate because there's caffeine in chocolate. So I need a care package like once a week because those are my two major food groups. <laughs> and you know, but then I get here and that the time, this really incredible um, and he was an intern, his name is Adam, and he picked me up and he's like, Molly. I know you're not from here, but if you have any questions, you just ask me, and I will take care of it. I will, I will help answer. I want to break all the myths of Utah and Salt Lake City, and you know, he just wanted to make me feel comfortable here, and he did immediately. And I've never forgotten that. It was such a a small way for him to help. Um, and of course, I asked him a ton of questions. Um, And and it's something that I do today. I continue to do, especially when I travel and people ask me, um, you know, like, is my husband Mormon? Um, Can you get a drink there? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's just a lot of myths that need to be broken. And um, and I just love that I can kind of be an ambassador for it. And, you know, going back to the actual position, um, I, there was just something special about working for another Olympic Games. So I had worked for the summer games in 96, and this was a winter games. And, mm-hmm. and also, it's really rare that people have the opportunity to work on the uh, an Olympic Games and prepare four years out for them. Usually, a lot of people, are they staff up quickly, kind of, you know, six months out. And then, you know, you have an end date. And there are people that just kind of go from games to games to games. And then they're kind of long haulers like you and me who, you know, I've had the opportunity to be a part of several games. Um, And of course, for this set to be able to be four years out for 2002 was an incredible opportunity.
0: Yeah, it really is something special. And, uh, you know, just having seen it one with my wife, Julia, working on the Atlanta games and then me coming on board to Meridian close to the same time you started at the USOC and really kind of seeing what goes on behind the scenes and everything that goes into an Olympic sponsorship and activation and hospitality and all of those things. It really, you take it for granted as a, as a sports fan, just kind of watching the event on TV, you know, how much actual coordination work goes on and how many people it takes to really, you know, make it look easy and to make it look polished to make sure that the Athletes get where they need to, and the sponsors get where they need to, and the fans and broadcasters and all that stuff. It's just, yeah, it's really amazing. I I I really enjoyed my time working there. It was one of the coolest jobs I've had. And got to work with you too. So it was really a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: There
0: so go. so yeah, we so we get through Salt Lake. Um, and then were you obviously you kind of knew there was an end date with that particular games, but were you thinking of sticking around um, and doing other things with the USOC, or what was kind of going through your mind?
1: So we um, literally packed up all the boxes and sent them back to Colorado Springs and they closed down the offices as the, the games were closing up. And, um, and so I was given the opportunity to move back to, or move to Colorado Springs, but to do the same thing. And I thought, you know, after four years, I've really wanted something different, a new challenge, and there wasn't an opportunity to do that. So I just, I said, hey, you know, I will be here. I will help you get through this summer, um, but I'm also gonna start to do my own marketing um, and just kind of consulting on the side so I can figure out my next move. And just thought, you know, people who, the locals in Salt Lake City are the ones who are gonna get the jobs. And so I started looking out of state and it was about the same time that my now two business partners, Amy Lucas and Cameron Smith, they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do. And we all realized that the three of us had developed this methodology during the games that allowed us to come together and to support the Olympic sponsors and suppliers by helping them figure out how to properly use the Olympic marks and terminology that they were contractually obligated to use and to do it in a way beyond, you know, just stamping it, hey, yes or no, like that packaging or that promotion or that campaign. Yeah, it's cool, but you can't do that. And, and we're, I thought, well, what if we educate them and what if we, you know, bring in their agencies and their internal departments and hold everybody together around a table and talk about what their objectives are? Make sure that they're married with the, you know, the look of the games, um, which is the look that you see on all the competition and non-competition venues. And then there is this thing called a graphic standards manual, and you know what are the proper way to use the logos and the color palettes and the mantras and how to use Olympic athletes appropriately without um, disrupting their eligibility and you know there's so many things to take into consideration that also fall under a contractual obligation between the sponsor and um you know the u.s olympic committee and the salt lake organizing committee and the international olympic committee so mm-hmm. it's a lot of pieces parts of and we thought okay we can bring everybody together around a table and and have this council of people and help these sponsors figure out how to basically bring their ideas to life and give them whatever resources that they needed. And once we started doing that, all of the corporate partners started activating more, interacting more with the, um, you know, the fans and the consumers and, you know, the public through their marketing campaigns. And, and they also started spending more money, which helped fuel and fund the the 2002 olympic winter games and the athletes who are there because so a lot of people don't realize that the athletes um you know they they receive some funding from the u.s olympic committee but they also have to raise some funds on their own as well to be able to get through training
2: yeah
0: yeah there's a lot that goes into that and and you've got that you know that amateur status situation with the athletes which is um always you know a tightrope to walk and then i think you know, Salt Lake was it was the hockey team right that was the first was that the first games no uh 898 I think was where they let NHL players play in the hockey and uh oh, so yeah. some athletes some athletes were pros and others weren't and um I remember there was one was there was a there was a skier from Colorado he played for the Buffaloes football team and he was an alpine skier well, downhill
2: well, that
0: that's it yeah and yeah. he had yeah and I think there was some there was some wrinkle where he got into, and I don't know if it was a sponsor deal or if it was just because he was able to, um, you know, he could make money in one aspect, but then he got penalized in, in his, you know, amateur status in another sport. It was kind of crazy.
1: It's totally crazy. Yeah, but it was through this methodology that you and I worked really closely together. Yep. And uh you know to be able to support you know what the International Olympic Committee corporate partners were doing as you were working with Meridian.
0: Yeah, and I remember we were talking about just the the clunkiness of these approvals and how you had to yep. go through all these hoops and it was <laughs> back in the day was you're faxing something back and forth and the fax wasn't in color. So you couldn't tell is a color scheme right back to sort of like the branding and graphic standards, you know, it was hard to really tell. So you're back and forth on the phones. And I think you and I had some, just some, some ranting sessions where like, there's gotta be a better way. So yeah, we started putting these ideas together and testing things out and got an online approval system put in place, which was pretty revolutionary back in the day. And um, I still remember the folks we had in Lausanne they were sharing a dial-up modem at the time with the office, which was just unbelievable. <laughs> but oh you know, my So yeah, to download an image took, you know, 30 minutes to get something. Cause you know, there was four people downloading something different. It was just bizarre.
1: Oh my but God. Yeah. No, but such humble beginnings. Such humble beginnings, but you were literally inventing new technology to, for these corporate partners to be able to get approvals through. I mean, kudos to you, dude.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I think, you know, this, one of the lessons that I I took from that is sometimes you can get so ingrained in what you're doing. And I think people that have been doing it, you mentioned, you know, people going from games to games to games, then they just sort of go, well, this is the way you do it, you know? And I think for somebody on the outside going, well, this is insane. You know, I can't believe we're not doing something different. Like, why isn't it different here, you know? And so I think you and I were kind of new to that world and just, you know, started asking simple questions and, didn't get the right answer back. So we thought, well, why not? Let's figure out a way to change it. Yeah, right. Very and you cool. Did. So, we did. So, yes, we did. It was awesome. So tell me about where you're at now, Infinite Scale, and how that got um, stood up and a little bit about what you're doing now.
1: So, you know, kind of going back to that idea of the methodology, we knew that the IOC had recognized that work as one of the hits of the games, right? They kind of have this internal report that goes around. And we were like, hey, why don't we, you know, we started to get together for like coffee once a week, which turned into, hey, why don't we continue to do what we did during the Olympics, but do it with events within the sports and entertainment industry and venues within the entertainment, sports and entertainment industry. And so that's how Infinite Scale was literally born in the fall of 2002. So Amy, Cameron, and I are equal partners. Um, We started Infinite Scale basically using, you know, office supplies that people were donating from the Olympics and putting these big bins to like give to schools. And I bought like a fax machine at the garage sale that they had when they were trying to liquidate all of these items. And, uh, you know, and a couple little odds and ends and um and that's how we started it um we rented space in an office um across you know across town um and uh, probably about a year into it we received this fedex envelope that had the opportunity to be able to bid on super bowl and it was um we it was 10 proposals were sent out it was invite only Eight decided to respond, including our team. Four were shortlisted and one got it and we got it. It was us. It was infinite scale. And we did five Super Bowls back to back and we just couldn't believe it. And um, it really kind of put us on the map when you have the opportunity to be able to do the Olympics and then Super Bowl. People understand who you are and what you do. And um they get, okay, you're designing the look and decor. And oh yeah, you're helping, you know, with the placement of these teams and these corporate partner logos and you're creating these fan experiences by integrating the brand into these sport venues. And um and, and that's what we do at Infinite Scale. And we've been going for 18 years strong.
0: That's an amazing story. And I remember when you got that first Super Bowl gig, it was um pretty amazing. And I think the work that you did you know, during the games, kind of, you know, you cut your teeth on that, and you know, Super Bowl is a big event, but it's only one day, right? So it probably seemed yeah. like it was, you know, none of this is easy. I know, but you know, one day versus sixteen is, um, you yeah. know, it's like, oh yeah, of course we can do this. We're great at this. this?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, the look that you guys have done has just been amazing. So I, I, I've uh, watched with amazement from afar that you, you all have done some really good things. Tell me what other stuff you're doing besides uh, the Super Bowl work that you did.
1: So um, we've actually had a really great, you know, you kind of find your niche after a while and a lot of clients come to us because of a large scale projects, um, like all of our venues work. So, um, and and doing this work in a very cohesive manner, and I'll give you an example. Um, Levi's Stadium, which is home of the 49ers, although that building's been open for six years now, it was um, a venue that one of the first venues that really started to think about integrating brand cohesively so where does the team brand go and where does the naming rights partner levi's go and um, you know where do, do all of the other corporate partner family members go and how do people find their way by looking at the wayfinding signage and what do the concession stands look like and and so we put together all of those brand touch points. And we thought about it cohesively, and we use that same methodology that we now call the creative council and in this process. And everybody from the architects to um, the 49ers, like their marketing department, their stadium ops, their corporate partner team, um, the art program. So they have an art consultant um, that was also a part of this process. Uh, Lighting, engineering, uh, food and, you know, the food service, like you name it, they were a part, we all worked together to be able to establish these cohesive objectives of what we wanted the theme of the venue to be. And everybody was held accountable for that. And we all worked together um, to be able to bring it all to life in two years. And so it was an amazing project for us. And since then, we've worked on U.S. Bank Stadium, which is home of the Vikings. We just helped open Allegiant Stadium, which is home of the the Raiders and UNLV football as well. Um, okay. And in your backyard, um, we helped um, renovate State Farm Arena.
0: Awesome. I didn't realize that.
1: I know. Super cool.
0: Yeah. So y'all have become kind of the, uh, the arena branding and, uh, you know, just sort of piecing together the whole experience of that stadium. Yeah. Um, and does it, so did you work with, uh, I know that I'm getting the, the, the stadium, but the, the Las Vegas stadium was brand uh-huh. new, right? And so is it, yeah. is it easier to come in when things are being built from the ground up or do you find more a challenge when you've got an existing stadium and you come in and sort of redo everything?
1: Um, they all have their challenges, I believe me. <laughs> um, I think yeah. it's easier with the brand piece to be able to start with that blank canvas. Yeah. Um, and you really have to have on the renovation piece, you really have to have, you know, someone internally, like on that team, who's real, what usually happens with venues is after, you know, five, 10, 15, about 20 years, it's kind of a life cycle, right? For a venue where it, before it goes through a renovation, Mm -hmm. that there's so much buildup of the what I call visual clutter, that things that have just been pieced together over time and they keep adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. So to be able to scrape all of that away and to start again and to start with a fresh approach, Mm -hmm. like less is more, um, is, is a very difficult thing to do. Um, And teams have done it and they've done an incredible job at it, but it's just kind of like a home renovation is always harder than building something from scratch.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. How do you know? uh, I just find this fascinating because I'm a huge sports fan, but how do you know if you hit the mark, you know, like you get to the end because I'm thinking in terms of software development and websites and you can kind of track, you know, um, digitally and metrics and usability and all that stuff. How do you know, that you did a really good job on, you know, Levi Stadium versus U.S. Bank versus State Farm Arena?
1: Oh, really good question. Um, I think it's For us, we usually on opening nights were there to be able to observe people walking in and interacting with (laughs) our work and um, and to be able to kind of sit back and to walk around and to really observe the fans that are in there for the first time. What are they saying? You know, because they don't know our role when we're just, you know, walking amongst them at the time when. (laughs) We all could be without masks, right? And (laughs) pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, So it's really cool to be able to hear that. And then literally teams will send out fan feedback and they will ask for surveys. And, you know, for example, about once a year with Levi's Stadium, I'll get a call from Al Guido, the team president. He'll be like, "Okay, we just got our survey back and this is what they're asking for. Let's do it. And I want to surprise my fans. and. I want it done before, um, you know, opening day, right? Like that happened literally in, um, after the first season, he made that call and we wow. were like, okay, got this. Cause we, we already know their style. We already know their brand and we know the venue. So it's really easy for us to just pick up and go and work, you know, develop design presentations and to have conversations and collaborations with that team and to be able to refine it and implement it and make it happen.
0: That's amazing. What do you like most about your job?
1: Oh, my gosh. There's so many things, Paul. Like yeah. How I, do you pick I, just I, one, right? I know. How do you pick just one? And, you know, I, I do love the the journey of each project. And I do love that we have the opportunity to collaborate with so many different people and to be able to pull them together with a unified um, vision, right, um, and and that that's really special, and and to be able to do it within an industry that I I have you know 24 years experience in is is truly something special as well because that's not something that you can learn you know by watching um, Sports Center or yeah. reading like yeah. one edition of uh, you know Sports Business Journal like yeah. it's something that for such a long time that's making me this kind of it's a great blend of being a creative professional but this kind of sports lifestyle specialist too
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and so you know and I love to be able to work with people I mean even now over you know virtually and then an occasional business trip um, it's it's something that's really special when the client really wants to get as much out of it as you want to give to the client
0: yeah. No, that's that's really special because it's, you know, it's taking your your life's work and integrating this in a certain way that, you know, wasn't traditionally there, you know. I mean, you think about the old stadiums that were pretty bad, you know, Atlanta Fulton County and, you know, I know the there was one in um what Three River Stadium in Cincinnati yeah. and, you know, it was just pretty yeah. bland. It was a universal stadium and, you know, there were there were certain industries where you had, you know, very sharp branding and this into you know the the sports arenas um you know people almost expect that right everything should be you know just as comparative as you know what you see on any other brand campaign or advertising or whatever that there's you know representing not only the the team but the city and everything that goes into it right so that's that's pretty amazing so what um if you could go back in time what advice would you give yourself
1: Oh, man. Um, I think the biggest thing would be uh, the observation part. I think, you know, looking at others and what they're doing and using that to your advantage, I think for us right now in this world of not being present, even though we're literally present, but we're off somewhere else. We're on a device. We're multitasking. Um, you know, if, if you just take a moment and you observe what's going on around you, even when you're walking through an airport or um, which I know is kind of foreign right now because of COVID. Yeah. But um, to not be walking with the phone in your face or even like driving around town, like if I'm a passenger in a car, i really trying to put my phone down to really observe what's going on because all of that is a different form of data and intake. And that is very important for a creative mind and eye to really understand and to be observant. And nine times out of 10, when I'm trying to make a connection with a client, uh, there'll be an observation that I've made that piques their attention and makes them want to work with us more because we're seeing things through a different lens than they are,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and it helps with our work. And so the the observation piece is so important not only in your school life but your um, your home life and your work life, and that could be the simplest form of something like body language, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just really paying attention to those details, um, and really putting in that work, um, so you can be observant because it will help you in everything that you do.
0: That's really important because we can, um, we can get really distracted. And I know, um, I've got two kids that have been diagnosed with ADD and it just seems like we all have it now because you've always got this, this device distractor in your hand and you always seem to be, um, you know, either addressing it or being, um, you know, alerted by it. And it is really, I don't think there's anybody under 25 that can sit in one place for a half hour and just think, you know, because um, yeah. it's just, it's these digital natives, everything's been ingrained about everything's at your fingertips and yes. you should always be sort of searching and going after stuff rather than just absorbing, analyzing And then coming up with some, like you said, some creative inspirations, you know, that's, that's really powerful. And I think that can probably be a lost art if you're not careful.
1: True. True. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Words of wisdom from Molly. That's amazing.
2: Well, listen,
0: (laughs) well, I think, um, yeah, I think we had a really good chat today. Thank you so much for your time, Molly. It's always great to catch up with you and, hearing about your journey and some of the things that uh, you've done, really just amazing work in the sports field. So thanks so much.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's been, you know, we met what about 20 years ago and here we are, we're just catching up. Like we, 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 you know, there wasn't a long pause and just so grateful to you and congratulations on this awesome podcast. Really honored to be a part of it.
0: Thanks, Molly. I appreciate it. We just pick right up where we left off, right?
1: That's right.
0: All right. Well, thanks again.
1: All right. Take care.